Okie dokie. So I guess uh, what we were talking about yesterday, we were talking about a few things, but one of the things we were talking about was um, thoughts. And that made me say, hey, let's maybe we should record a video about this because it could be helpful for people. Um, so we'll have to try to find our way back into the middle of that conversation. <laughs> but uh, you were mentioning like your experience of thought now. From what I remember you saying is that when when there's thought, like there can be thought or not thought, it doesn't matter, but there's like no engagement. There's no entanglement. There's no fear or reactivity toward thought. Um, something like a thought is sort of an inert experience. Is that right? That's right. Let me make sure I'm recording this properly here. I think I am. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> And um, we were discussing how uh, reactivity ultimately, or even resistance, ultimately is only reactivity or resistance to thought, essentially. Although we convince ourselves it's reactivity or resistance to a world or situations or people or events or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see that reactivity go away completely. But the thoughts could still be there. Mm -hmm. But without the reactivity, they're, they're different. They're not... Mm. They're almost imperceptible, I would say. Thoughts are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would even say, looking really closely at the mechanism, and by the way, not everybody out there thinks it's valuable to talk about consciousness and thought and stuff, but I actually think it's quite valuable because when you see closely the mechanism, you see, at least what I see is that it's a sort of reactivity in that space of thought that causes a thought to even be there in one sense. Like mm -hmm. if there's no reactivity, there's no thought in mm. in that space like no will no pushing and pulling becomes extremely neutral very quickly yeah maybe that's that's what you meant or what people mean by no thought but th there's still there's still consciousness there's still right. ref, ref, reflective, reflecting, reflect, reflexive experience that's still there. Right. I totally agree with that. And that's not self. That's not the same thing as a self or self. No. No. In fact, someone recently posted this thing about in Buddhism, you know, we don't talk about consciousness or something. I thought it was so interesting and I was really looking it up and there is reference to consciousness in Buddhism, even in the suttas. Buddha describes it, interestingly, exactly the way I had perceived it. And what he, what it's described as is, essentially, consciousness is reflection of a sense, but it's a distorted reflection. It's inherently mm -hmm. distort, distorting, and I totally agree with that. But the distortion is through this sense of self, or maybe even an underlying reactivity before self, a tendency to react to 
experience, but the experience is only up here. Essentially, it's cog cognitive or thought-based somehow. It's the reaction to reflective experience because in the sense fields, in the pure sense fields, there's no sense of any division anywhere, no sense of self, body, other processing. There's no time gap in which anything can happen. There's no time gap in which an inner world can construct or which a, an agent sense of agency can form at all, right? It's seamless. Reality seamless in one sense. Yeah. I think you actually said that yesterday. You said, now I, I see clearly like reality is there's no getting to reality. It's just always just reality. Like there's no gap anymore at all anywhere. I don't remember if you, I, I can't remember to, what part of the conversation that was. About this. It's hard to say anything about this. Yeah. I'm struggling a little bit, but um, so about distortions, the experience of distortion is reactivity or it's upheld by reactivity. Without reactivity, there's no basis for comparison between the reflections and reality. That's my experience. So it's just reflection. It's just reflection. And reality doesn't have that reflective nature, so it's like almost impossible to even perceive it. Um, that's that's my experience right now um the gap yeah that that gap is is what allows for the distortion and it's not really there it's 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 an it's an activity that's constantly creating a sense of a gap but that sense never never um becomes anything real never becomes a separate self it's just a constant activity that's why reactivity is such a good word for it because it it, it is just reactivity it's, it's always happening though so then it maybe it feels like a sense of self yeah So what about um, suffering? What is what is suffering? the compulsory nature of the reactivity
the 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 sense the sense of the the default sense of reactivity how it can't it seems as as if it must be it must happen and that can stop somehow and then it's seen that it doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to. And it was never really happening. It never had any effect on anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost as if a like just an endless reflection of mirrors got some little bit of, I don't know what will, or it, like some image just got stuck in there and bounced around for a few years, maybe a lifetime, but there's still nothing actually happening there. That's the weirdest part about it. And it feels heavy probably because the body reacts to it, interprets it mm -hmm. like the, it's a physiologic interpretation maybe. That's why physiologically it feels so different when it stops, I think. Yeah, it stops. It stops. It's it's wild that it stops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just comes to a screeching halt. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> And so just to clarify some of what we're talking about, um, when we say it stops, what stops? Aside from suffering, is there, I mean, is that it or? No, it's more fundamental than suffering. Suffering's like a downstream effect, maybe. Mm -hmm. But that, that pro the reactivity stops. Yeah, I might say almost every, in one way, everything stops. Like some kind of fundamental belief, like fundamental belief in believing stops. Yeah. Belief in, reacting. in re reacting, buying into the whole system, anything that could construct an identity, um, the world, the need for a world the need for an outer world or an inner world, the need for a division between them or between anything, the need to hold on to a boundary or find or define a boundary, personal boundary, anything. There's just, it just stops. And it's seen it was never real. None of that was ever there. Strangely. <laughs> Seemed to cause a lot of trouble apparently, but it's, wasn't ever happening. Yeah. Like something was trying to hold everything together, perhaps all of that, the boundaries and the will and all of it. But, you know, when you look at the middle of it, you just don't find anything.
you could say you find it's a vivid sense visual experience but then what is that and there's essentially just nothing there in sound in the same way sensation yeah because by the time you ask what is that to to answer that question i think it would be processed into a reflection so then you'd be in consciousness and that's not that right exactly so yep that's exactly right there's definitely consciousness yeah but i think what what stops is the the identification with consciousness and the belief that there needs to be consciousness at all yep that there's like inherent value to consciousness right or identity to consciousness or truth or will even impulse it's mm. like all of that gets drained out of consciousness and it's seen just to be this it's almost like another sense or like a but it's reflective in nature is my mm. experience of it and that's all that's it nothing more yeah. never was anything more than that but if you buy into the reflections, just like in the suttas, it describes, it becomes distorting. It's inherently distorting. It's inherently unreliable. Totally. Mm. Because the moment it's there, yeah. what are you going to do with it, right? If there's something that feels like it's grasping onto it, using it, holding it, creating a world with it, it's already totally distorting of what it's apparently reflecting. <laughs> yeah. So I love it. Like in the heart sutra, you know, no consciousness, no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, no color, sound, smell, taste, touch, or what the mind takes hold of, nor even active sensing. So simple. But then it leads to this, no ignorance or end of it or all that comes of ignorance, no withering, no death, no end of them. Nor is there pain or cause of pain or cease in pain or noble path to lead from pain. <laughs> And the, the the reactivity and the identification, those are also movements of consciousness. So they're they're uh, they're equivalent to like the pure sense of consciousness. Yeah. Then it's also nothing like identity isn't an extra sense or uh, uh, it's not even a foreign process it's just another reflection mm -hmm. it's like a reflection of it's like consciousness reflecting on itself it's a reflection of the reflective process many times over yeah the more complex it gets the more it it seems separate, but it's it's not. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm. I like how Adi Shanti said said this. Um, he said at some point the arc of consciousness that starts like at whenever eighteen months old that allows us to be self aware in the most fundamental way, like any self awareness, like that arc of consciousness that turns back on itself, just turns back around, um, and then it comes to a in one sense the there's a final finality to it there's a fine uh an end to again like the way he describes it, i think is pretty clear and i would say it's accurate is there's no the inner world 
there's no place to be. There's no, there's no need for it either, of course. And there's no lamenting of its disappearance and there's no belief that it was ever even there really, but it's also notable. Yeah, so I'd say an interesting aspect of this, what 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 enables an an the experience of an internal world and the divisiveness within consciousness is avoidance, but it's avoidance inside of consciousness, which it's weird that that would even be possible. But maybe it's like mirrors like are all positioned in such a way that that, that like the light gets it's like if you, if you shine light at a mirror and then hold another mirror against it and the light like bounces off of the other one and creates all kinds of weird um, refractions. I think that's what avoidance does. Mm. And it, it's such a weird, like it's such a trick mm -hmm. that it that it plays on itself. Yeah. But it's, it's, it starts with like uh, the subtlest, impulse to avoid a thought or a reflection even before it's a thought just that mild turning away that create that that leads to the formation of an internal world or the the sense of that mm -hmm. see i i agree with you completely so that's exactly what i find is that if say we talk about like desire and aversion or whatever, um, in gross ways, like in the external, like desire and aversion in with, with material things or people, um, uh, as gross behavior that can go away earlier than what we're talking about. But what I would say is that ultimately desire is an effect. Desire is already a reaction. The, this mm -hmm. fundamental perturbance in experience is, is an aversion. It's just a tiny bit of holding back somehow. And I think what you said actually is a really good way of saying it. it's turning away. Actually, it's some mm. tendency in consciousness to believe we can turn away from experience. Um, mm. And the only way you can turn away from experience is in 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 the reflective world. Because if you're experiencing non-dualistic, you know, full on the sense fields, it's like you can't really turn away from anything. If 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 something turns, the whole world turns. Like there's no mm. turning. There's no reacting to or from anything that's like one seamless environment. So there's not, there's no agent in that reacting to the environment. That's clear, right? So in consciousness, it can make it seem like, oh, I can hold back in here just enough to start to like feel like I have agency and I can react to thoughts. We don't think we're reacting to thoughts. We think we're navigating our life. We think we're right picking and choosing mm -hmm. and getting mad about this and happy about that and looking forward to that and being glad we're done with that. And it's just endless, right? But, but all of that's based on the sense that I'm somewhere in here bouncing around like a ping pong ball in my mind, deciding what I want, what I don't want, pushing, pulling, struggling, having a story. Then we get 
like really the identity builds almost around that story and narrative, I think, that has a feeling of his history, future. But at the core of it is this sense of this illusory sense of agency that like oh, I can pull back enough to start to regroup and think about what I want to do here. You know, no, you can't, <laughs> but it feels like you can. Right. And something about thought and the reflective nature, just like you said, I think it's like kind of like standing wave, like one mirror and another mirror and becomes feeling like a standing wave of the sense of subjectivity, the one pulling back and then objectivity, which is all of experience in that space, which looks like the whole world and the senses and thought, but it's really just thought as long as that standing wave is operating and it can break down and come back and go for a while. Like you can be in total presence and then boom, back in the standing wave. Right. But at some point it will stop. And it's then, then the mechanism actually becomes pretty obvious. I think of how that can happen. You don't need to know the mechanism. It doesn't matter actually, but it becomes kind of clear, like what happened or what the fundamental error was. And it was that trying to hide. Yeah. yeah. The error is avoidance. That's the error. Yeah. Because that avoidance creates fear or at least it perpetuates fear. It's maybe linked to fear, but it, avoidance perpetuates fear and that, that keeps it, um, it keeps consciousness divided, keeps that standing wave erect. Because fear is fear has an effect on our on our nervous system. And it's compelling. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it says it 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 warns us of a danger so it, it actually yeah i think it cues the body to to react as if there was a real danger but it's only inside of consciousness mm. but that that's a strong fear is a strong force and that avoidance is such a it's such a good solution to to fear it's it's such a it works it's it's a reinforced um solution to fear so that that keeps it keeps the system calm mm. and it prevents us from seeing that it's actually there's actually it's actually impossible to avoid, but what we're avoiding is is nothing other than another thought. Mm -hmm. And it's no, it's 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 not harmful. It's not offensive. It's not threatening. Mm -hmm. And I think also we avoid. Or we try to hide from the fact that we hide. We avoid the reactivity itself. Because it it does, it, it is it is uncomfortable. There's something uncomfortable about it. Having that fear response activated is is alarming yeah. to the system. And so 
it's easier to just or it's it's adaptive i guess to just avoid to to behave and think in these patterns of avoidance mm -hmm. just generally and then they stabilize into personality traits um behavior patterns lifestyle choices um routines whatever it is that habits addictions when it's habits. extreme yeah yeah i like how you were describing um how we um i may have lost it right so that so it's it becomes like so the initial perturbance let's say is a bit of avoidance or a, a just an, a slight aversion then this standing wave gets set up or this reflective illusion essentially gets set up um and then we have you know we we almost replace the world with that right or we do mm -hmm. actually replace the world with that so instead of interacting with the world we're reacting to an inner world and as we react then fear builds because we're believing it we're believing those images you know we can like against like as just an example we can imagine we can watch the news and imagine someone breaking into our house and have almost the same fear response or at least a significant portion of mm -hmm. it just thinking about it something that's not happening at all and we're having physical reaction to that we're having physiologic reaction we're experiencing fear so, but as you rightly said, the solution, unfortunately, in that space becomes a little more disassociation. So instead of just going directly to first the experience, the fear, the emotion, and then to seeing what's actually happening, like, is this like to see that this is not even happening? This is a thought, but to see that you have to see that a lot more as a thought than you want to admit a lot of times, including your whole life <laughs> and your and physical reality in the way you think about it. But, um, but aside from that, what happens is we just learn new ways to disassociate. I think it's a sort of, yeah. it's a sort of standing wave of disassociation, a stable disassociation. And part of it, and this is going down a whole different tangent, but part of a big part of it becomes social constructs or socially endorsed, um, disassociative, but agreed upon belief systems, like things like uh, all the social expectations of how you act, what you do, you know, who you are, what, what you should be doing next. Should you be in a relationship? Should you not like, um, should you be interested in this or not? And then, and then it's like subcategories of which political party you're in, which group of people you interact with, but that actually has a lot of stabilizing effect on this whole internal distortion. Right. Because then then you you project you project a more complex world out there that's not even happening. But you have a lot of other humans around you going into complicity with it and it feels more and more real. And then then like another layer of fear gets tied into it, and that's the fear of social um uh non-acceptance, basically, right? Rejection and so forth. I think that's why this becomes much more acute for a lot of people after puberty or after you become socially mm -hmm. aware. There's a whole other layer of fear built into the whole system now. And it's like two two pretty significant levels of disassociation, but then a whole bunch of other disassociative movements of mind going on all day long. Like, of course, they're suffering with all that. And something deep inside, like our heart or our instinct, perhaps, all it really wants to do is feel what's actually happening, like what's really going on, which is... Mm -hmm 
quite radically different than that world um, mm -hmm. in one sense, but it's also natural and simple and innocent and lovely and there's no distance and there's no time or space. <laughs> there aren't events, all of that, but it's so natural. Yeah. The social interaction cues that whole cascade of division and consciousness and believing thoughts recoiling into an internal world. It, it almost, uh, coercively um, instructs us to to do that. Like you must, you you must form an internal world. And there's something quite in, intense about that, I think. And then it it gets conditioned into us. And that's why I said before, there's something compulsory about it. It's like, it's almost as if there's this coding in consciousness that just says you must believe a thought you must believe this thought though the ones that are familiar to you that are built into your your particular conditioning um but that that coding that that um mandate you must believe this thought i found in myself I was fearing that I was mm. fearing that because I know it's power mm. and I know how it's, how it's like corrupted my, my nervous system, I guess. And to see through that requires like just a willingness to just stand there and really challenge that belief. Like, do I, do I have to believe this thought? Like, does it does this thought have to be believed? And that's but that's that's seeing through reactivity, because I think the act of believing a thought, whatever whatever that is, it happens so quickly, it's so automatic. But I've, I've I've asked myself a lot, like what what does it even mean to believe a thought? Like, if I was able to observe that process, what would it look like? And it is reactivity. It's and yet it it could be it could be observed. It could be um, studied under a microscope in direct experience. And I think what's seen is that. There's no one to believe that thought. Yeah, it's simply one thought reflecting another thought is ultimately what it comes down to. In one moment, that can be seen. And the reflection itself, just that one reflection in that one moment, although yes, it can happen over and over and does, but that one reflection, that one moment, if you penetrate it clearly enough, or precisely enough, you'll see what it contains. And it contains every illusion there is. Mm. Every 
every distortion, every belief in a mm -hmm. in se physical separation, in a, in a physical world, an inner world, an outer world, space, time, doership. A lot of a lot of apparent information in that one reflection, but it's nothing but a reflection. Smoke and mirrors. Yeah. So I think that the process of believing a thought then is like overlooking that intermediate thought. Like that intermediate thought that binds the two is goes on like goes unseen. Absolutely. That, that, that's that's like 95% of what I do when people are approaching first awakening actually is finding that thought because it'll be some, the story is very common. It's like, I meditate hours and hours. I can, I can get to the point where my mind is so quiet and I'm seeing thoughts. I'm just sitting there watching thoughts and then nothing happens. That's your thought. Your belief is nothing's happening. Nothing's ha nothing's happening. That's where you're, that's your default position that you go to for safety, essentially you know, or whatever, or I get bored and it's neutral or something, but you can see that story goes. And then all of a sudden it stops at this place. And it's like, and here's the problem. Well, your belief is that there's a problem and that that's your problem and you're in it and you're experiencing all that. And, you know, and, but you can start to feel that when that happens in someone's processing, when it becomes, you know, because the nature of thoughts and consciousness and attention are such that we can become aware of thoughts reasonably easily. Most people can with mindfulness practice and meditation. And certainly with awakening, you become quite aware of how many freaking thoughts go through these, these minds. And yet the mechanism of identifying here and there still can operate for quite some time. Um, and it's exactly how you said, it's like, you got to really slow down and look at what's happening in the thought space. Um, where am I believing a view Where's that because where's that binding even happening, if anywhere? But first of all, what's the view forming? And then mm -hmm. what what does it feel like to believe that? Yeah, like almost tracking down the process of belief in real time as it's happening mm -hmm. and playing it in slow motion and seeing seeing what that process is and then it it's eventually seen to be another thought. And when that's seen, it's like, oh, okay. Then it, then it stops exerting an effect on the nervous system, I think. Mm -hmm. it, it unhooks and it's just another thought. But it's seen. I think I think the, the magic trigger, the illusion, is that something goes unconscious. Something gets um, eclipsed in within consciousness and that's that's what allows the illusion to happen so for anyone listening what does that feel like when that unconsciousness happens how can that be recognized perhaps hmm. or potentially feels like me yeah <laughs> yeah it often feels like what i want or what i'm sometimes it just feels like kind of sweet like what i'm interested in what i want to do what i want to go eat it yeah. feels like distraction often is what it feels a distraction or a, like a it can feel like fantasy mind wandering for sure um we, we don't realize what's underneath that is is exactly this something's been just wanted just kind of leapfrogged over or something we're not wanting to see a little bit in the experience it may be subtle and all of a sudden we're on a mind down a mind road or 
having, you know, for, um, engaging in a habit, <clears throat> excuse me, in a habit or something. Mm. What, one of that's, I think really that's one of the reasons this process can be quite difficult. Well, it's, it's challenging for anyone, but for some people, it's just so daunting. Um, and that is when it feels extremely uncomfortable to be a self, to be a me, to all that, you're probably looking in the right place. When you're when you're really forcing yourself to look at the beliefs and, and your mind wants to do anything but that right now, um, you, that's good work. Even if it feels muddy, confusing, disorienting, you're looking in the right place probably. And yes, it's uncomfortable. On the other hand, if you just go, eh, I'd rather just do whatever, you know, and distract yourself with some random thing that we all, you know, distract ourselves with, that kind of feels good. It feels in the moment. It feels like, but that, that whole system has already been set up, right? The system of avoidance has been set up. And this is, this is the ping pong ball of desire and aversion that if we really buy into both of them in very gross ways in life, I mean, it becomes externalized into really, but can be extremely bad habits and just really dysfunctional ability to even function in life at some point, if it's too dramatic. Um, which is really sad because a lot of times what's underlying it is a lot of emotional um, uh, difficulty, trauma, repression, whatever it is. Uh, and that's what we're really avoiding. So along with the insight you and I are talking about and awakening and all of it, it's important to do that kind of work as well. May or may not be in concert with the awakening work with it, depending on your teacher and what their capacity is and all that. But you know, therapy may be needed and all that because these insights are subtle. Um, and to really slow the mind down enough to look at one thought, one belief in a moment um, is quite difficult when there's this raging emotional thing under there that just wants attention, wants whatever it wants, you know, maybe it wants to express itself. Maybe it wants attention, yeah. you know. It wants support, I think. Mm -hmm. It wants someone to, to hold your hand and lead you to the edge I think it, it sometimes we we just need like a holding space or we need permission to walk to the edge where we can face our fears mm -hmm. and actually look and um disprove the avoidance complex yeah but that requires facing fear mm -hmm. all of that avoidance has created a monster of fear yeah and I, I also think that you know i i wouldn't prescribe awakening for somebody who's got a bunch of trauma and just psychological suffering and they're not interested in it i would mm -hmm. if they are interested in it if they are inclined in this way i would say that they kind of have to go in tandem at some to some degree because here's the thing like facing your fears when you're completely mind identified is a very different thing it's because your because your thoughts feel so real right mm -hmm. if you say i have demons inside me you believe you have freaking demon you could believe you have demons inside that's terrifying but it's also a thought right and so some degree of waking up some degree of disidentifying from thoughts can be really helpful with this because you realize okay i'm not facing an actual demon there's not a thing called a demon that's going to come and you know i'm facing a very intense physical experience it's yeah okay well that's a little better right and then we we get into the language of like it's destroying me it's tearing my guts out it's like well those are also thoughts it is a, it's an intense feeling and it's a sensation but 
you have access to it. You can get down to it, you know? So some degree of disidentifying from thoughts, I think is very helpful in this space as well, but you can't just try to disidentify completely and, and just avoid the fact that you really need to feel and deal with some sometimes, you know, pretty um, significant and pervasive vasanas and whatever. Yeah, I think just part of being a in a body as a as an animal is that like a, a large part of existence is unpleasant, just uncomfortable. And I think it's also that way for animals. So we just have to accept that that's how it is. <laughs> and We've been, you know, we use consciousness to actively try to deny that or revert it or appease it in some way. But that's just the, the truth of, of being an animal, I think, just mm -hmm. a fact. And so the physical discomfort, like uncomfortable sensations or in, intense sensations, that's always going to be a part of life. Now they're, they're just, they we're unhooking them from um experiences in consciousness mm -hmm. they don't have to be linked to experiences in consciousness and there's nothing we can do with consciousness to manage or modulate those physical experiences it's it's just a product of being in a body yeah and whether your mind identified or not like it's always gonna it's always just gonna be a, a reality <laughs> Yeah, I think I love that you said that. Um, and I completely agree that like you, it's a hard pill to swallow at some point. Maybe you swallow it little by little, but uh, it's a hard pill to swallow that I can't use consciousness, meaning mm -hmm. thought, fantasy, all, any of it. I can't use that to mitigate physical and emotional, essentially sensations, but sometimes pain. Um, we don't want to see that, you know, but, it, but it's our... Um, that's our get out of jail free card at some point you have to once you see it and accept it realize you you can put you can try to put it off but it's going to come back for sure and the more it gets repressed and pushed away the, the more distorted it comes back and the more confused you are about what's even happening and so um just face what's what's presented to you like if i could define this whole experience or if i could delineate what we're talking about and how this process works it's like just as neutrally as possible, meet what appears in your experience, whether it's your emotions or up in here and thoughts and, you know, or in the sense fields, like just meet what appears as neutrally as possible. Um, it will take care of itself. Because the truth is right there. We're looking at it in the you know looking at it in the in the face all the time. Nirvana, extinction. It's everything you ever wanted, and it's nothing you ever thought you'd have. It's nothing you know. There's no def definition for what we're talking about, but. Um, yeah. I like to say, although this has to be held so lightly, but I like to say 
there's something that drives this, you know, call it whatever you want. Call it the Dharma wheel turning, call it grace, call it instinct. But there's something that drives the, the instinct to turn inward at first to see what's actually happening there to, um, I guess turning inward means can mean different things, but one, one thing it means is to become mindful and to become aware of thoughts and start to question and so forth. But another thing turning inward means is to stop believing that managing the external world and the way you think you're doing it is going to satisfy you because it just doesn't ultimately, you know, getting people to do what you think you need them to do and wanted to do and getting your situations and money and things all in the way you think it's going to make you happy, your career, all of it. Like you need to do all that. That's just responsibility and it's fine, but it's not going to, it's not going to deliver satisfaction. It just won't. Another hard pill to swallow, but, <laughs> but once you swallow it, it's like, you don't have many other places to look anymore, except in Yeah, here. because pleasure isn't fulfillment. No. And pain isn't suffering. No. So we have pleasure and we have pain, but we're not going to be, we're not going to be fulfilled with hits of pleasure because it will naturally return to it will, it will naturally just end return to a baseline mm -hmm. yep not only that it sets up a, you know if there's a psychological mechanism always chasing pleasure and avoiding pain it just sets up more pushing and pulling more reactivity more distancing ourselves from our momentary experience imagining the next pleasurable experience or trying to set it up or whatever we're trying to do in our life it becomes surprisingly uncomfortable when we really try to orient ourselves too much to pleasure yeah or even yeah. comfort you know yeah yeah that's a big one mm-hmm yeah, like but every, the, everyone the, everyone deserves to be comfortable, right? But do but do they? Right? Like, do we, what do we do? We deserve anything? Do we need? Do we need to deserve anything? Like, once we think we deserve something, man, we're already struggling, right? Um, when we think we need to earn something, when we think we need, um, to sacrifice, like whatever stories we tell ourselves. They're just distancing. They're just distancing. Like they're just more of this like back, 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 back. You know, there's nothing back there. <laughs> yeah, but, the but the stories are like, you know, what's interesting about those kind of motifs is they're like, they're they're infused with will. That's what they mm -hmm. have in them, right? It's a feeling of will. Like you can get behind will, right? We like the stories of triumph and all this and Yeah. Well, that when when you asked before, how do you know when there's unconsciousness or whether when there's one thought that's gone, that's been um, occulted in in consciousness? I think the the feeling of will is a good indicator of that. Like that feeling, and it's it's at first. I think first, what happens is like there's a subtle fear that's maybe not even registered. And then that feeling of will, like it's pasted on top of the fear. And it, it to me, it almost feels like it has like a momentum to it. Like it's something propelling me forward in consciousness, of course. 
but it, it does activate the body as well that that's will it's it's an experience mm-hmm. irregardless of the content that it's using or whatever it's striving for it doesn't matter but the feeling itself of will i think attuning to that and, and being vigilant for that feeling because it's, it's quite deceptive like it could feel really good at times mm-hmm. you know it, it could feel like confidence it could feel like assertiveness mm-hmm. it could feel like excitement but it, you wait until the other shoe drops because that's right yeah also it feels like the future it feels like there's a definite future. You have to believe right. in a future that's going to reward you for your whatever, your effort, your planning, your, you know what yes. I mean? Like it definitely has a time element to it. Um, and we want to believe in that. You know, Sometimes we don't want to believe in it because it's uncomfortable, but sometimes we do. <laughs> and it's always, as you said, the, it, there will always be the other shoe that drops at some point. And we don't like yeah, it. Has, it has a direction, a purpose, an orientation. It's moving towards something. That's what it feels like. But that yeah. whole experience is illusory. Yeah. So here's here's a question I came up with as you were set, describing that very clearly. So just for practical, for pra- in practical terms, like for anyone who's listening and gets what we're saying, that when you feel say something intense, you may react with a sense of will or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like. And let's say you work around somebody who's a difficult person to work around or something like, you know, or you're around somebody who just has something that feels so intense to you, or it's hard to not like say react or respond. Most importantly, it's, it's like impossible not to feel something in that moment. Right. How does that become will or, or let me ask you this. um, How might someone differentiate just an intense feeling of a situation, a person, whatever, from that intense feeling plus the added belief in, and here's what I'm going to do about it, right? They, that becomes a distortion, becomes a distortion of will. Yeah, the the basic belief of um, wanting or not wanting, the belief in wanting or even having the ability to want or not want something. And then from that, it's is this, what is this in relation to me? Like, what is this intense experience? What does it mean for me? That I think that's that's what um, precipitates will. And yeah, I think what you just said. The next is the next belief is what what am I going to do about it? That I can do something about it, mm-hmm. and that it's avoidance or. seeking. Yeah. I think that's really well said. There's, there's an experience, let's just say a physical sensation, let's say, and there's a set of conditions in which that arose. There may be something that's, that says this feels uncomfortable. That's not the same thing as saying, I don't want it. That's Mm -hmm. what's really, that takes a long time to see. They're actually quite different. Something can be uncomfortable, but that's it. There's, it, there's it, nothing that says, and there's something here that doesn't want that, which that's really loaded with belief. There's, there's suppositions yeah. loaded there. Yeah. I was going to say it's very charged that I want, or I don't want that's so charged because I think it's linked to survival. 
it's linked to safety, to ideas about safety. I think if you trace it back, mm -hmm. those conditions, whatever conditions that that arises in. Um, and, and to clarify, helplessness. Yeah, helplessness. To clarify for anyone who's going to ask, because there are going to be, I just know the questions that come from these conversations. So one question that will come is, well, if you don't want or not want something, then, you know, someone's mind's going to come up with a, um, a scenario. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, what if I'm in an, what, I don't know, like what if I'm in a, an abusive relationship? It, so you're saying I should just stay, right? So I, what mm -hmm. I'm going to, what I want to ask is how does this differ from the practicalities of life and what we do in life? And so the gross choices we make. We're talking about something more fundamental than what happens in the relative world or in manifestation. It's an internal sense of wanting or not wanting. Because even, let's say you're in an abusive relationship and you take the steps to remove yourself from that abusive relationship. And then five years later, you have a thought about that abusive relationship. And there's a reaction to that thought that's charged and somewhere in that reaction you're going to find I don't want or I want and there's going to be like this vigor to it that's the that's what we're pointing to yes and I will also say experience yeah and I'll also say this comes full circle in that what you're describing is why there are patterns of dysfunctional relationships for instance it's because it's actually because of that reflection that later on, suddenly, even though we don't want to be in an abusive relationship, suddenly we meet someone and the, the signs are there somehow, but we overlook them because it feels kind of comfortable is the word some people use, but I would say it feels familiar because of that internal world that's been reflecting instead of if you can see clearly, it's like, oh yeah, this person's not interesting to me. Like they, there's things about them that just do not work for me and they don't makes sense. Why is this person acting this way and that way? You'll feel the control mechanisms and all that. And you just, you wouldn't even get close to that person. So sometimes these, not sometimes I'd say much or most of the time, these distortions in the internal reflection of desire and aversion or, or wanting and not wanting get so habituated and the reflective nature makes them distorting often um, that they actually are what cause us to get into challenging situations of those nature of those natures um, instead of just just totally naturally avoiding them. Now, it's not possible to go through life without avoiding danger 100% of the time. There's random things that can happen, but there's a lot that we do because of our habits, habits of communication and so forth. And what underlies all of that is this very fundamental stuff we're talking about. So yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the the identity. The identity looks for sources of reinforcement. It has like receptors for that, and it's it's so intelligent. Mm -hmm. Like it will, it will just attract whatever reinforces that um, paved pattern of um, believing thought and reacting. So I think that's how we we will we would get into an abusive relationship or get into mm, going to complicity with certain 
dynamics that that lead to suffering mm -hmm. because they do reinforce the identity mechanism yeah yeah I, I like how you said it's intelligent um and i find the same thing that like in its world in this world we're talking about this reflective world the world of want and not want and narratives and time that a whole loser loser world of ego and collective ego and all of it um it will you'll never beat it at, at its own game you'll never beat it at its own game you apply will to that you're already you've already lost in the game you are at its mercy like it is smarter than you it's been around longer than you you know that kind of thing the, the what we're talking about is waking up from seeing that that really never applied to anything fundamental but well first about you then you'll see through the self-structure even and then you'll see even under that there's the mechanism the fundamental mechanism that could even create a self-structure is essentially a simple error a simple misunderstanding of all of this but yeah if you once you're engaged in it it can be <laughs> you can try to fight it and it will the, you will lose that fight every time you'll even think you're winning and you'll be losing um it's really seeing you're not any of it like it just comes down to identity i mean this this is basic stuff i guess from what you and i talk about but it always has to come down to identity if you want to get out of this suffering Also, in reference to what you were mentioning a few minutes ago about we inhabit a body, we inhabit a mammalian body, an animal's body, there are certain things you have to accept about that. Uh, and it's true. And being around other bodies is going to have effects on this body, even if there's not identification going on and so forth. Watch a dog walking down the street, sees another dog, jumps out of its skin. You know, um, it's very interesting to that dog, right? It's, uh, they're wired for it. We're wired for reactions and stuff in, in physiologic ways. But I, I do think it's great that we are now pulling in a lot more modalities that are very physical modalities. TRE, uh, we just did last week a retreat. We did intuitive movement for like 40 minutes every day. And I mean, there were people flailing and vocalizing and moving and twitching and shaking. And But it was really powerful, actually, very transformative. By the end, it was like, okay, that was that was very helpful. Um, and, you know, a few of them were like, I'm going to do this every day. <laughs> this is so, so valuable. Um uh, breath, breath work, uh, you know, a lot, there's just a lot of physical modalities, I think that are directly about releasing this energy, regulating the energy, and we're getting smarter about it all the time. And I think that st those adjuncts are extremely helpful. Well, anywhere in being a, a healthy human, but, um, especially with this kind of work, because a lot of people have a lot of Kundalini type stuff, energetic shifts, physical experiences, pain, you know, chronic pain states that can kind of be associated mm -hmm. with this stuck energy, you know, that you just don't really know what that is. It just feels like pain. And, um, but again, when we're in the avoidance mechanism, we don't get close enough to start to really feel into maybe the body just wants to move a certain way. Maybe it wants to release some energy or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That helps to, to support this process too. Um, 
to, to relax the nervous system. To... To free up enough space to be willing to to look and to to have the the resources the energetic resources to investigate in a meticulous way mm -hmm. and in such a granular way that requires it, it requires um, space um, it requires readiness the conditions have to be right internally I think and energetically there, there has there just has to be you, you can't push this it's, it's not gonna happen by force for me it it happens um when there was there was enough quietude um to enable the the close looking that we're talking about and maybe that comes after intense emotional storms that sort of shake the nervous system and, and empty it out but I think this, these insights are so subtle that it, it does you know, re require some um, bandwidth to, to actually see. Yeah. You know, I've said this in other videos where we've talked, but I again, I always gear these to the people who are watching. And you did a lot of things quite right. Um, that I, I always like to highlight just for anyone watching, you know, there's no exact right combination, but there are some that I look at and I'm like, I can see what's missing and what people are doing. Um, and with you, like one thing that was overarching for the handful of years, we've known each other five plus years or whatever, um, is, is really always had a willingness to look, uh, even if whatever, I just like, look at what seems to be happening in your experience. And you were good at it. You know, you were good at keep just, just going back and looking again and again and again. What am I feeling? What am I believing? Why am I doing X, Y, Z? Why am I, why do I have a certain habit? Why um, do I see people this way? Why do I see my family this way? Why do I see every, just everything? You were just so willing to just look at what's actually happening in your inner world. Um that stood out a lot. And I think that's most of why this went well for you. I think, um, probably secondary would be, you were very good about working with, with a teacher or with a guide or whatever with me, essentially, um, in a vulnerable way in a, in a, you know, um, so for anyone who's interested in that kind of thing, like there are good teachers out there now there's good guides, good, um, uh, but find one you resonate with, find one who's clear. And, um, that can be of huge value. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, those are the things I think you did. Your heart was always in, in the right place with this as well. I mean, you were always pretty clear on, you wanted to end suffering and you really wanted the truth and were willing to let go of falsity that, that was just there, you know, that was obvious. And that may be the conditions that probably are needed or else you're not going to really do this. But, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, you didn't meditate for years really that much. You didn't really enjoy it. You were very more physical riding bikes and, uh, you did some retreats, but, um, primarily yours was just a path of like massive daily inquiry. <laughs> and that's what a lot of people I think overlook. They don't introspect much. They sit, may have a teacher, may do some stuff, inquire here and there. But, you know, when you really just start really going, okay, I don't, I don't want to hide anything anymore from myself. I just really want to see what's going on. However, I need to do that. Um, that's, that's huge. It makes huge, huge transformation. Yeah. I think it was always clear to me that the, that suffering was coming from within. So it didn't really matter. It doesn't matter how the life conditions unfold or even what the body does or doesn't do. Like this is all the charge, all the noise that the identity mechanisms make were, were very palpable to me. And, and interesting too, they are still just interesting. It's intriguing, but the thing that doesn't exist is like the loudest thing in my experience. <laughs> oh, <Yeah. laughs> it sticks out, it sticks out like a sore thumb yeah. and yet it's not, it's not a real thing. <laughs> Yeah, that's it right there. That's the setup is just recognizing there's something here that's, I don't know if it's right or wrong or it shouldn't be, I don't know if it even shouldn't be here, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel natural. It feels extra. It feels unnecessary maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just track it down by any means necessary, <laughs> but not with a lot of force, mostly with openness. Yeah. And I like that you said, you know, you, it's interesting. And I, I agree actually that a degree of curiosity, just natural curiosity yeah. is very helpful as well. You know, um, I don't know if it's fully necessary. A lot of people just are just massive suffering. And I just want to not suffer. Um, but just having some curiosity can be quite helpful here because we're talking again, we're talking about subtle things. Sometimes there's, they're kind of precise as far as the, the ego mechanisms and the mind mechanisms, but Man, people wake up all different ways. So, yeah, I think also taking taking an inventory. Maybe maybe this is more in a in a broader sense, but taking an inventory of what are the things that I want and the things that I don't want, or what are the things that I care about, and or the and the things that I want to avoid. Like maybe just generally and in my life and then um reduce it to the more um the more maybe more abstract or more fundamental wants or needs or whatever and look at that because that could at times compete with this drive for for truth for just seeing the truth and it it gets um conflated with it too naturally like i think because we can believe that 
if I realize the truth or if I'm liberated from suffering, then I will feel better. I'll be free. I'll, I'll have more energy to pursue my goals, whatever it is. But those are like secondary motivations. And I've, I've seen how that, that has been obstructing at times that it gets associated with this quest for truth and it has nothing to do with it. And it's all of those other agendas have no merit to them when it comes to truth and they have no, um, they have no absolute um value like it, even if like by association you get what you want or you avoid what you don't want none of that's gonna stand the test of time like none of that's gonna ultimately fulfill you and then you, you then when you start to question that like you start to break down time and space and form so it's useful but I think we have these weird ideas about what you know what truth and the end of suffering will will give us mm -hmm. or or protect us from and it no <laughs> like I said before there's still a reality like there's still the relative truth of being a human and no one no one escapes that right but are you inclined to think about that other than Wait, in this say that again well, I mean, are you inclined to think about that, ruminate on it, worry about it, or is it just you're mentioning it for this context? Well, I'm saying it for this context because yeah. I found that those are like sometimes concerns or mm -hmm. threads of belief or no threads of like unconscious um, motivations that that get um that can that can that can impede this what this um like direct unitary incisive search for truth yeah or inquiry into truth yeah and and a lot of the emotional shadow stuff comes up around these things but that's why I, the only reason i'm mentioning it is because um it, it gets confused i think mm -hmm. it gets um like embedded into this yeah the intention to to wake up which then affects like how much of a priority it is yeah um, i i totally agree with you actually i think that's right on the money even, and it even gets to magical thinking that you see in spirituality. Yeah, sometimes. exactly. Like, I'm going to have magical powers. I'm going to have cities. I can live forever. You know, that's not what we're talking about. But um, but what I was actually asking you is like on a personal level, do you have fears around that stuff anymore? Oh. Do you have fears around like being injured or getting old or dying or getting sick anymore? No, but I think, no, but like up until like yesterday. <laughs> 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 Two, three days ago. <laughs> That's what I said. Like the, the those were the final concerns. Like those concerns are, were there, 
Yeah. I mean, they could that could still arise, but it's there's no identity behind it. It's a thought. Yeah. Right. But um yeah, those like more fundamental um preoccupations. Yeah. That are natural, but when identity gets completely emptied out of it, it it doesn't have it, there's no reaction to that. So there's no belief in any of those concerns because there's yeah. no one to be concerned about them. Right. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. it's seen that that they're completely um unmanageable. Mm -hmm. That's there's the, nothing that's it. you can do about it. There's just nothing you can do about it. So yeah. sure, there could be like there's gonna be an emotional um experience around it, probably, but it's gonna happen anyway, like or it's either gonna happen or not gonna happen, whatever the thing is. Anyway, so it's it shouldn't be a concern. It shouldn't yeah. be it's irrelevant to to ponder that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly my experience is sure I could say I have concerns about things happening in the world or the fact that this body's gonna get old and break down and die, but there's no charge there. It's just that's just those are just facts. Just like the mm -hmm. flower is going to wilt and die is a fact. I don't react to that, you know. Um, exactly, exactly, like, exactly. The sun's going to set. I don't react to that. I can't. Nothing. I could even if I somehow somehow identified with this being the sun suddenly, and I had a reaction to it. It's still going to fucking set. Like there's nothing I can do that's going to change the natural order of things. Like it's absurd that we ever got so arrogant in our minds that we can control things in the way we think we can, you know? Um, and so then, yeah, it, it's, there's no charge. And when there's no charge, those thoughts subside essentially, unless, yeah, like they're, unless they're practical. Yeah. Like if someone yeah, said there's a hurricane coming, you'd be like, okay, well, I better pack up and blah, blah, blah. But you may have no response to it at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like there, there's, there are bodies being injured, abused, dying in this very moment. And you're not, re like, I, I'm not reacting to that internally. <laughs> so, right. like, I, I guess you could if you, like, read the news or think yeah. about it or are, are involved in or concerned about that because it's something that is, like, like, I've definitely been, had those concerns. But if I if I um, inquire into that and look and look through it, it always comes. It always uh, leads back to me. So I've projected myself into that concern in some way. Yeah, that's right. But I, I was using that example to say, like, I'm sure there's like in my um, vicinity, like where I live, I'm sure there's within a mile radius there's like someone that just died or you know like someone dying right now or someone something really tragic happened to and I'm not reacting to that so it's it, it is a personal um concern mm -hmm. and that sure there would be a reaction if that were happening right in front of me um but yeah it, it is it is a fact and 
that that the possibility that those things could happen and um we're always reacting to the fear mm -hmm. of that yeah the fear the fear of that thing happening that that's what we're experiencing when we when we react that's right because of because of what it would mean or what we imagine that it would feel like but again that that's not that's that's irrelevant it's it's just it just seemed to be um not not worth our not not worth my my time to think about yeah yeah it's it's well it's irrelevant but it's it's not happening either it's imaginary you know you're um the best gift you can give the world the best way in my experience in my opinion is best way you can heal the potential for 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 injury and uh, unnecessary injury and um harm harm and violence and unconsciousness is just to be present yourself in your in your environment because you could endlessly go watch the news and become you know mm -hmm. cynical and fearful and like all of that can happen but what you're doing is ignoring your own environment and the more you know you can't make everyone else out there be mindful but you can become exquisitely mindful and then you know dissolve the identity structures and essentially just die into presence um and it and it's to me it's instinctual felt at that point that's the best shot you have you know not that not that you even have to have an agenda about it but you know of of mitigating potential violence here or there mm. but still there's no control it's not like you you can yeah. force the world around you to be uh peaceful it's not going to happen and it doesn't mean you don't feel emotions like if i read the news mm -hmm. i do feel emotions but i'm just not creating a like a mental strategy to try to do anything about that yeah or or change try try to argue with reality yeah i agree i'm the same same way with me yeah i can read about an injured animal like I, this happens because i get these emails from this this mm. company that like you you spend money to help these poor animals like dogs in the united states who are often abused and they get to shelter and then they need help. And they're always like tragic and it's really like heart wrenching. <laughs> and I feel emotion when I, when I read it, but it's like, well, I don't feel anger or anything. Like it's more like just empathy for the animal. Um, and, but it's interesting. Like when I stop reading it, it's just gone. Like it, it doesn't change my worldview. It doesn't change my internal view. It doesn't, it just doesn't leave a mark really. I think nothing leaves yeah. a mark is essentially what it is. So there can be an emotion. Of course, there can be sadness or empathy or um, anything like it, it's fine that there's there's a, there's those experiences, but there's nothing receiving the experience. There's nothing apart from the experience um, being modified by the experience like a self, like, a you know, um, and even those experiences become quite empty, just like all experience becomes quite empty. And then, as you said yesterday, I'm not even know if anything ever happened. Right. Which is yeah. so true, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so, so odd sometimes. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if, I think I was like baffled by the fact that I don't know if 
any internal experience has ever happened. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to, you know, to have a sense of, since they're substanceless, since it's, I see that they're substanceless, whatever, whatever memory about that arises is, is seen to be equally substanceless. And it's just a thought right now. So it, it really makes the past, like the sense of the past, like that, which is like part of that, that internal world, like kind of like, it's like the scaffolding of it. Mm. It really puts that into question. Mm -hmm. Like, did I ever suffer? Like, I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, you know, cause it, it feels dreamlike. Yeah. It's like when we forget dreams, like we have a very intense dream and then we forget it. It's kind of like that. Like it was intense. The body reacted, the body reacts to our dreams, sleeping dreams. And, and then they're just wiped away. Mm, wiped away. I have a friend who's a Zen teacher and she said, that's what I loved about Zen is that's why I got so interested in Zen is at the end, everything's just wiped away. That's it. That's it. All right. Well, I think your time is about up and thank you so much for another conversation. We'll throw this up on YouTube and I'm sure people will enjoy it. I enjoyed talking to you. Yeah. As I always enjoyed talking to you. <laughs> And uh, we'll talk soon and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, you too.